Hello, welcome back to another week's episode of Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore Retreat. How are you, Simone? It's been a busy week. Yes, very busy. We were together a lot today. I know we had some meetings, you know, just a lot going on. Chit-chatty, yes. Yeah. Talking to a lot of our friends, one we're going to have on the show in just a minute. But... That's right, yeah. Today's episode's a little bit of a hodgepodge, but yeah. it's a good one. because um, we've, we've Fish and feathers. Fish and feathers. Uh, yeah, fish and birds. <laughs> Scales not, and tails. Not fish and chips. But, yeah, right. <laughs> um, it sounds like dinner. <laughs> I know. It smells like fried chicken in here, so I'm hungry. But anyway, um, that's besides the point. But yeah, uh, it's been a good week. Um, there was a really great piece that came out last night um, following up on the Cubits Gap trip yeah, we did. It was. It was it, um, so it was nice to see Alex out there, uh, and he was... Uh, talking about the information when y'all went out to um, Cubit's Gap. And um, it was a really nice piece, a long piece, too, um, and really got to the heart of of what we were talking about on the show that day. Yeah, John Snell did it, Fox 8, um, WVUE, so you can go online and check it out. A really good piece. Um, Natalie Perrinen from Environmental Defense Fund, who's another guest, was in it, and really shows, you know, what happens when you let the Mississippi River do its job in building land. My favorite part was they, they had a hard time taking the core sample. And then when they took it out, it made that slurpy noise. Oh, yeah. A lot of good uh, <laughs> visuals, a, a visual. lot of good sounds. Yeah. So. I don't know if we talked about this last week, but y'all had that beautiful piece in Audubon. It was amazing. It was such a nice oh, piece. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So this is a piece that was in Audubon Magazine, um, which is a national magazine put out by the National Audubon Society. But it, it really f- focused on the amazing job that the state of Louisiana, the Coastal Protection Restoration Authority, and others are doing in terms of making progress on its land loss crisis. Really talking about the Caminata Headland. Oh, the um, pictures were beautiful. Project. They had mm-hmm. a great video. And Eric Johnson's going to be on their show as our second guest. He is. So we're going to ask him all about it. He's a repeat offender as well. He is. I know. We like to have our favorites back. So <laughs> if you haven't been back a second time. <laughs> yeah, this is a lot, right? <laughs> <laughs> no offense. <laughs> well, we are very happy to have a first time guest. Uh, Chris Macaluso is going to join us. We were lucky enough to be with Chris earlier today. Chris, I've known Chris the entire time I've worked at Restore Retreat. Wow. Um, I've known him through a, a couple of different lives, but it's it's great to have him on the show. So welcome to the show, Chris. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. So uh, Chris is the director for the Center for Marine Fisheries at the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. Um, he's an avid sportsman. We're going to talk about that, who, who enjoys spending as much time as possible fishing for bass, speckled trout, redfish. Uh, C-Mac, we always ask the question, like, what's your favorite fish? Um, uh, or, you know, we ask a silly question. We ask the bird people, what's your favorite bird? And they always say, the last bird I saw. So what's your favorite fish? I mean, is it, would it be offensive to say the last bird I killed? <laughs> I mean, no, but, no, I, I, uh, uh, my favorite fish, I, I would say it's speckled trout. Uh, you know, I've caught a lot of fish, uh, a lot of different <laughs> fish. Uh, um, you know, I... Uh, I like catching red snapper. I don't like talking about them all that much, but uh, but uh, but but I, I really like catching speckled trout, especially as we move into the fall. Uh, the fishing for trout just gets outstanding in the fall, and uh, it, it's gotten a lot better in some of these areas that have benefited from coastal restoration projects. But uh, I really like to fish for trout. Yeah, it's a good time of year for you to get to work outside, right? So um, I, I said I said what you did and where you do it, but why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? You literally grew up outside, right? And now you you luckily get to work outside a lot too, right? So tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do at Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. Sure. Yeah, I am, you know, a lifelong resident of, of, of Baton Rouge, but spent a lot of time 
Go uh, Bears! Aren't up. you a, a Catholic? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was. I was a Catholic high uh, <laughs> graduate, uh, along with Congressman Garrett. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he was a little bit older than me. I won't say how much older, but uh, but, but we'll a tell how school stories uh, later. <laughs> right, exactly. But uh, we, um, uh, you know, my dad was an outdoor has been an outdoors writer. Joe Macaluso, uh, his, you've for, read his stories, right. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has covered hunting and fishing in Louisiana and baseball and football and all, all kinds of stuff. So it was either uh, we were either in the marsh or in the woods uh, or fishing at Grand Isle or in a ballpark. So I had a very uh, <laughs> That's inter- right. Y'all are big baseball childhood. people, too, right? You were in yeah, the bu- – yeah. yeah, you used to do um, LSU baseball, right? Yeah, I was the uh, the official scorer for about ten years, and uh, I worked in the athletic department for you know all throughout college, and uh, and I also covered football and did stats with basketball, and uh, but I kind of put all that you know behind me, and uh, you know about a decade ago, and started focusing mainly just on outdoor stuff and and on working uh, on you know coastal restoration issues and fisheries issues uh, and things like that, and and you know started a family and. All those things that people do when they when they decide it's time to grow up. So, um, uh, yeah, it's been uh, you know I, I've seen a lot of things happen in Louisiana. Um, you know, have have had, had the opportunity to hunt and fish from one end of the state to the other, uh, and uh, it's been a, a real eye-opening experience. You know, of course, we've had like anybody who's spent a lot of time in the marsh, um, you know, along our coast. Uh, you know, in the last forty, fifty, sixty years, I've seen. I've seen a lot more land lost than I have seen, uh, get, you know, that we've gotten back. So uh, it's good to see that there are some projects out there that are accomplishing some significant things, that we're putting some marsh back together, that we're, you know, focusing on some critical land masses that are important to keeping the wetlands intact, and that we're building back barrier islands. You know, you guys have talked about the Kamenata Headlands Project. You know, I grew up uh, fishing Elmer's Island as yeah, a kid yeah. three, or four, three or four times a summer, you know, and uh, it's it's really nice to see those kinds of investments being made and, and, and putting those things back together, um, and, you know, having that beach be intact and seeing the islands that we fished on uh, being rebuilt. Um, and, you know, of course, it, 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 it it's not enough. You know, it never is when, when you're dealing with as much land loss as we've seen, uh, but um but there are some some very earnest efforts being made to to save what we have and, and help to restore this ecosystem. And Chris, this might sound like I mean an obvious question for you, but for others that are listening, if you're you know a sportsman, a woman, a hunter, uh, angler, why should you care about coastal restoration? We had the Vanishing Paradise team on a few weeks ago and asked them the same question, but you know would love to hear from you as well. Well, you have to. It, it's you know you, Louisiana is such a unique habitat. Uh, it's such an amazing fishery, diverse fishery, uh, incredibly productive. I mean, I would say in the lower 48 states, I, I don't know that there's a, a more productive fishery than coastal Louisiana. And it all goes back to the Mississippi River. You know, the, the river, the Mississippi, the Atchafalaya, uh, you know, have fed so much nutrients, uh, built such a wonderful habitat for uh, juvenile fish and forage fish and uh, and just the kind of fish that, that we like to pursue, bass, redfish, speckled trout, flounder, drum, and then, of course, the offshore species all benefit from the, the, the productive uh, capabilities of our coastal wetlands here. And then, you know, if you're a waterfowl hunter, um, you know, you got to love being in Louisiana. I mean, we've got a diverse habitat here for waterfowl, you know, anything from flooded timber to swamp, 
to rice fields and then down into our coastal wetlands, uh, which have historic, you know, historically been uh, one of the most critical overwintering grounds for waterfowl in the world. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, it, it's called Sportsman's Paradise for a reason. You know, we have tremendous opportunities here to hunt and fish, but those things are, are, are supported by the habitat. And if we don't have the habitat, uh, if we don't have the, you know, the grass beds and the marshes and the ponds and the bayous and all those things uh, that help support the food chain and help support the juvenile fish and all the way up through their life cycles, Without those things, we, we just don't have the fishery and, and the hunting opportunities that we, we've grown used to here. Yeah, and, we, you know, we're about to head into a break, but we do want to dive into that a little bit more and ask about, you know, how the river helps with the fisheries habitat and, um, you know, what you've seen firsthand, you know, in your experience. I have to ask a question. It might be a little difficult, <laughs> and you may not want to answer it for other reasons. You don't want to give away your secrets. But Take your fifth. What is your favorite spot to fish in Louisiana? Ooh, you know, it was... It was Lake Pelto in Terrebonne Parish for hey, the longest shut time, up. Uh, and I still love going down there. But but over the last decades, it shifted more towards the Lake Pontchartrain area, oh. and I really love that area, uh, what they call the Golden Triangle, mm. especially in the last five years, as the salinities have gone down in that area. Uh, I mean, it is. Since they closed Mr. Go. Don't give all your secrets away. Don't give all your secrets away. (laughs) The trout fishing fishing there is incredible in the fall and the winter. We're going to cut you off. Don't give your spot away. All right, we're going to talk more about it after the break. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore a Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. Welcome back to Delta Dispatches. This is Simone Malaws. We're here every Thursday on 990 WGSO and online through our podcast. DeltaDispatches.org. Mm-hmm. Check us out on the Facebooks and the Twitter. And the Twitter. Twitter's a great tool. <laughs> um, C-Mac, I, like I was mentioning earlier, I've known you for a long time. One of my favorite work stories uh, work stories is that um, we went out to Wax Lake. We took a group out to Wax Lake and, and Chris brought his own boat. 
And um, we had a ton of people with us. We had media, we had science, we had experts with us. And um, and they they we had this really nice story in Science Week Union. They had this super nice pictorial spread. And there is a picture of CMAC fishing <laughs> in the back of the in the back of the picture. We went out and he went out to, and he's like, I just couldn't not throw my line in the water. <laughs> that's one of my favorite stories. Um, so CMAC, why we talk about Wax Lake? I mean, that's another great productive area of the state too, right? Um, it's an amazingly. Are you going to defend waterfowl. yourself? That is a true story, correct? Well, it is a true story, and, <laughs> and I mean, I was in my own boat. I had my own That's fish true. across there. No, I, mean, I just I'm thought it was. The, I'm on the water. Yeah. Awesome! It was so awesome yeah. that they're like, okay, this is too nice not to fish here, and that was the story we wanted to tell. So they and so Wax Lake. Sorry, I cut you off. Very productive. Tons of birds. So right? Wax Lake, yeah, Wax Lake, <laughs> Wax Lake. You know, especially for duck hunting, uh, is it, it's just a great uh, overwintering ground and. Um, and if you like, if you like bird watching, you, you got to go to Wax Lake. I mean, it's just loaded with animals. Um, there's a lot of bald eagles down there. Yeah. I mean, and you were saying about the GPS yeah. story. Tell that story again. I like that story too. About well, the GPS. Uh, you know, been, uh, sure. Uh, you know, for those who aren't familiar with Wax Lake, you know, obviously it's, it's one of you know, the, the best accidents that's ever happened in Louisiana. I don't think anybody when that channel was dug out of the Atchafalaya River anticipated it building as much land as it has. But uh, when you go down the original cut, the original what they call Calumet Cut, mm-hmm. which is the Wax Lake Outlet, um, you get to a point uh, when you get out to Atchafalaya Bay where on your GPS, uh, if you're using the standard card that comes with the GPS, it shows that you're in open water. And in reality, when you look out in front of you, it's like eight or ten miles. Yeah, land, not open uh, water in front of you. Yeah, right. And we uh, and, and it's just impressive. Yeah, that same trip we went out and there's the infamous well there that used to be only accessible by boat, and and now it's it's landlocked. And so they they had you know the opposite challenge that we face in so many other of the other stories that we tell is, okay, how do you get to this thing now? It's it's surrounded by land and. Um, and last favorite story is that you're like, oh, yeah, you see that big open body of water right there? That's about two feet deep right there. So can't yep. run your boat there. So it's a really, really productive area. Um, and we talk a lot about Mardi Gras Pass, too. Do you want to talk about that part of the world, too? Yeah, I've spent a good bit of time on the east side of the river, uh, you know, in the last five to ten years. Um, you know, when I grew up, I fished mainly around the Grand Island, Coquitry area, but we have been spending a lot more time at Delacroix and, and you know, down towards Point of the Hash and Puris and just learning as many different areas of the state as we can. Uh, you know, Mardi Gras Pass is an interesting place. I, I started going, uh, you know, I fished down there, um, you know, I have fished down there off and on for the last 20 or so years. Uh but, you know, right after Mardi Gras Pass opened, and I want to say it was about 2014, uh, I went down there bass fishing with a friend of mine, and, and we noticed that a lot of the canals had started silt again, and we started to see some mud flats popping up in the back levee canal. And, you know, of course, knowing what we know, it was all sediment deposits coming out of the river, um, you know, as it had blown that, that hole in the natural levee and started moving the water into the marsh in that area. Uh, just, an, again, an amazing number of ducks and other bird life in that area. Um, but, you know, one thing that kind of stood out to me was that, you know, we had heard some negative things about, um, you know, about the muddy water and about the cold water and, and, you know, turning the fish off. And I wound up talking to a couple of local guys who said that they fished there pretty much every day. Um, you know, even when the river was high and what they were doing was, uh, 
you know, going back into the ponds that were kind of off the main channels and finding these big grass flats, um, you know, submerged grass, and the water was very, very clear, and they said that they were catching just tons of bass and redfish, that it was just easy fishing. And that's some of the things that we found down there as well. I mean, you know, the, the, the habitat has changed substantially in that area. Anytime you introduce fresh water into those areas where you haven't had it before, you're going to see changes in salinity. You're going to see differences in fisheries. You're going to see some more seasonal fisheries in terms of your saltwater fish. But what, what stands out to me the most is just how much the habitat has improved. Uh, and adapted, right? Of, yeah. It's adapted, but it's improved in terms of water quality, mm-hmm. the amount of submerged grass that's in that area. Uh, a lot of people think that when you introduce you know, river water into areas, all you get is dirty water. Well, that's not true. Once the grass beds have had a chance to establish themselves, the water actually becomes very clear. Um, you know, almost unnaturally clear for Louisiana. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just a fascinating place to fish. And, and really what happens when you have freshwater interaction in those areas, you see, um, you see real diversity, uh, increase in the forage base. So you'll catch redfish that are eating bluegill, which are freshwater fish. Uh, you see them that have been yeah. eating crawfish. Uh, speckled trout will eat bluegill. They'll eat freshwater shad. Um, you know, the, the fish grow faster. They get fatter uh, quicker in those areas because there's just so much food uh, that's living in those grass beds and living in that, that, that zone where the freshwater is meeting the saltwater. I think it's a fascinating place to fish. I love fishing these areas where you can catch freshwater and saltwater mm-hmm. fish right next to each yeah, other. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just really like that area. And I know we're, we're hoping to go out soon and kind of, you know, scope it out ourselves. But, um, Chris, I mean, it reminds me of a, a blog I, I read recently about a fisherman who was, you know, initially anti-sediment diversions because it's kind of what he heard and, and, you know, his opinion. But then actually being out there and seeing areas where the river had influence, he said that those were the best areas to fish and those were the areas that are gaining land, right? So... Can you talk a little bit about sediment diversions and also why they're important to maintaining that full, like, bounty of, you know, an estuary, you know, from freshwater to saltwater that Louisiana has been known for um, for so long? Well, you know, I think it's always important to kind of take a step back and, and kind of look at the history of, of South Louisiana, you know, and realize that all of those marshes and swamps have been created by the Mississippi River in some way, shape, or form. So really what we're trying to do when you talk about diversions is just bring the river back into areas where it, is, where it has already been. Um, the reason why we have such an amazingly productive and diverse fishery in Louisiana is because of the river, not in spite of it. Um, you know, the, the river created the marsh. It's the one that that, that put the sediment, that put the nutrients and the grasses into that system in the first place. And once it was cut off, what was sustaining the fishery is, is leaching the nutrients and leaching the, you know, the life out of the marsh. And that's what's been sustaining the fishery. So now that when, you're, when you start reintroducing the river back into those areas, you're going to see some changes, obviously, because the salinities are going to change. You're going to see different plants, different animals starting to inhabit those areas. But what you're doing, again is putting more nutrient back into the system to support life. You're putting food and, you know, all of the, all of the microorganisms that are necessary in the habitat that's necessary to have healthy fisheries and diverse fisheries. You're returning that back to the system. So 
uh, we're going to have to adapt. You know, I read that very same blog that you mentioned, and the guy talked about, you know, areas that he had fished for the longest time uh, that were basically bare bottom or had shell bottom or oyster shell bottom, and they had fish in them. Well, now you go into those areas and there, there are submerged grass in there because the salinities have come down. But the fishing has gotten better. You just have to change the way you fish them. And Louisiana is... Yeah, go ahead. Right. I was just going to say... You just have to fish more weedless baits. You have to fish... You know, baits that work better in the grass. See, Mac, like, talks about yeah. He's got this whole, his own language, right? I love well, it. <laughs> and if Louisianans, I mean, we know how to adapt, exactly. right? Exactly. That's yeah. what I was going to say. Louisiana sure do know how to adapt. So, C Mac, we have to let you go. You are such a great guest. We will ask you back on this show. And a great advocate a, for Coastal great Louisiana. Advocate. We are lucky to have you. Last question. Can the Saints and LSU pull off a winning weekend? Or are we going to deter- we're gonna have to wait for the Nichols Colonels to do that? Well, LSU better win. They're playing Troy. And I think the, <laughs> the Saints will win. And I think everybody needs to kind of take a step back from the ledge. I don't think it's going to be as bad this season as everybody thinks. So. All right. Calm down, people. It's Who so dad? early. Go Tigers. And, <laughs> Thank you, C-Mac. We- thanks, Chris. All right. Y'all take care. We'll be back after the break. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org slash Louisiana. Welcome back to Delta Dispatches. This is Simone Malaz with Restore Retreat. This is Jacques Bear with Audubon, Louisiana. We're here every Thursday on 990 WGSO, online through the No Podcast. You can easily find past episodes on uh, www.deltadispatches.org. And uh, we are excited to have our next guest, uh, who I believe is calling in. We have um, Dr. Eric Johnson. Repeat who, guest. Repeat guest. Eric, we were just saying that we like our repeats, so it's a good sign that you're back. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate it. I like I like being a repeat. <laughs> Not everybody gets asked back, so don't tell them. So. Yeah. So, Eric, um, I know you've been busy, and we've had a really great story. We were mentioning it earlier in the show, come out in Audubon Magazine. Yeah, I'm going to cut Jacques off here. Eric, the piece in Audubon Magazine was beautiful. I love the pictures. I love the video. If you notice in part of the video, um, Eric was talking, and there was a rainbow behind him, too. And so I just thought, I was like, oh, Jock must have paid extra for the rainbow. It was <laughs> yeah, so, ask for favor. It was a beautiful story. It looked beautiful, but it was in one of my favorite places in, in Caminata. And so um, tell us a little bit about that article. Yeah, not not all field work involves rainbows. It's <laughs> a little bit messier than that. Um, no, I agree. They did a fantastic job. Justin Noble was the writer and is just excellent. We've worked with him before, um, and the editors at Audubon Magazine did a great job. So, yeah, I mean, the story was about sort of the bigger picture of barrier island restoration and the importance of barrier islands to uh, to coastal Louisiana, really serving as that, as that first line of defense 
uh, for helping our coastal infrastructure, um, both human communities and the wetlands. Um, but also barrier islands are a fantastic place for birds. Um, you know, dozens of different species of birds nest on these barrier islands each summer. And some of the work uh, that we do was, was also highlighted in this article um, where we monitor and we steward the nesting sites of least terns and Wilson's plovers, uh, which are declining and, and threatened species that are found in, in Louisiana. And the video has a really beautiful image of you banding a least yeah, turn. Is that correct? Video, I think the best thing about the video was that um, it showed so much about the calls and how you catch them and how you protect them. And so it was it was fascinating. I, and I, I kind of know what you do, but I mean, it was even a next level kind of cool. So, yeah. So, um, tell us about some of the things that they featured, um, that y'all were banding, right. And doing some yeah. things like that. Yeah. So the banding work helps us, um, helps us keep track of, of which birds are which, which, you know, ultimately at the end of the year, we want to figure out how these birds did. So, um, we need to know which individuals are which, so we can figure out their breeding productivity. We ban the chicks so we can watch them grow up and figure out which ones are surviving. And if they're not, you know, understand why that may be happening. And so we can adaptively manage these uh, populations as we go forward. So, you know, we have a, a trained biologist that help us do the banding work that we hire every summer. Um, but we also bring volunteers out to help us do this work. So volunteers are always welcome to join us when, when we're out there um, either surveying or banding or just talking to the public about why we do this work. Um, we obviously work very closely with the communities there in Grand Isle and also with the land managers at Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. Um, so it's a big team effort that, that really makes this work happen. Um, and we definitely appreciate all the support of our, of our partners. Yeah. And Eric, I mean, so if, if folks are interested in, you know, volunteering for a similar event, you can go to la.audubon.org um, and You'll sign do up. do a Christmas bird count. Is well, that that's right? Co- that's that's a big common. Deal. Yeah. yeah. But um, and I want to ask about that, Eric, but tell us a little bit about the partners, um, you know, that help with the, with the work out there in Caminata and elsewhere. Yeah. So, I mean, our, our project really began um, right after the oil spill. You know, there's a lot of chaos during the oil spill about, um, you know, the cleanup efforts, and nobody really knew where the birds were nesting. So in 2011, we, we started partnering with the uh, American Bird Conservancy um, to attract some funding and hire some technicians to help us figure out, you know, and answer those questions about where the birds are and which, which populations need the kind of protection. Um, so American Bird Conservancy has been a great partner through the years with that. Uh, and like I mentioned, we work closely with Department of Wildlife and Fisheries um, both on Elmer's Island uh, in the Grand Isle area, but also in southwest Louisiana in Cameron Parish. That should have been our yeah. theme was Elmer's Island because Chris uh-huh. was talking about that too, how much he loves that scene. Well, it's certainly a, a, you know, a showpiece, a masterpiece of uh, what has been done so far with coastal restoration. And the state yeah. is just getting started, also funded by the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. Right. So I want to mention that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, this was a massive project. Um, it went in two phases, this restoration project. Um, the first phase involved, you know, SEAP funding, and the, the second phase involved, um, you know, NIFWF funding through the BP criminal penalties. Um, so it was over a $200 million project um, to, to revitalize this 14-mile barrier headland um, that protects the coastal infrastructure of Port Fouchon, you know, a major oil and gas um, um, port. Um, as well as the community of Grand Isle, as well as a lot of other communities um, throughout Veritaria Bay in the city of New Orleans. Eric, I, I was amazed by how y'all marry technology to your work as well, too. That, and you showed the piece of, so can you talk about that a little bit, too? 
Which part? The the bow net? Yeah, well, the bow net was actually very cool. But I also <laughs> thought where um, where y'all had the GPS, y'all had like a, uh, I guess maybe Lindsay did that for y'all. But it's like um, y'all had all the points along the shoreline, oh, along that. Caminata. It just looked like a, a kind of a lot of things happening. And then you zeroed, y'all zeroed in on it. And you're like, that's everywhere where we found a nest. Yeah, that no, you, that's. I, we train our technicians to do that work. Um, you know, we enter all the data every single day uh, into an Excel spreadsheet, which we can then convert. And you use your phones, right? And the, we use our phones. Yeah. We can put all the GPS points in there. So we know in a huge amount of detail what's going on out there. Another part of, you know, Caminata and the story there is that um, it has helped in terms of nesting season. I mean, Tropical Storm Cindy hit um, at the height of nesting season, and because the beach had been restored. Some of the nests um, survived, whereas in other places they didn't. Is that correct? Yeah, that is. I mean, this was, you know, since we started monitoring in 2011, this was the worst year in coastal Louisiana for, for beach nesting birds. Um, the entire state, the entire shoreline went underwater in late May, actually. We had a, a no-name storm. Just at in. the wrong time, too. Yeah, well, and, and it wiped out all of the first nests and so all those birds are able to re-nest and they re-nested in May but there just wasn't enough time mm-hmm. in that late April storm and tropical storm Cindy to successfully raise their chicks. So had tropical storm Cindy been a little bit later um, more chicks would have survived but certainly Caminata Headland because it was built so high um, was the one place in coastal Louisiana Mm. where birds were able to successfully nest. Yeah, that's a good story. So uh, getting back to, I guess, the fish and birds connection, Eric, we just had Chris McAluso on, and he was talking about... He likes whack- dead birds, though. <laughs> well, he, that's okay. You know, <laughs> as long as it's legal. Um, you know, uh, he was talking about the Chafalaya Basin and as, as well as like areas like Mardi Gras Pass where there's influence from the river, and he said the birding there is incredible. I mean, also the, the fishing in some ways, too. So, you know, for birds, why are they so drawn to those areas? Is it because of the fish? Are there other areas? And, uh, you know, why is maintaining that kind of balance of, of uh, habitat important to a variety of bird species? Yeah, well, I mean, birds are just such a great indicator of the health of the over, overall system. So we're, we're fish are thriving, birds are thriving, and vice versa. Um, you know, so they tell the story from above the water, and fish tell the same story from below the water. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of other birds in, you know, in the bottomland hardwood swamps and in the, in the cypress tupelo swamps. Um, that don't feed on fish. You know, they eat insects and fruits and, and other things like that. Um, and in fact, our bottomland hardwood forests in, in Louisiana support 25% of the world population of a little yellow songbird called a prothonotary warbler. <laughs> we really just borrow for a few months out of the year, and then they migrate to Central and South America for, for eight months out of the year. Um, and so these forests are just full of birds that, are, that kind of do similar things like that, you know, all these different kinds of warblers. Um, and then it provides habitat for birds that come down from the north in our winter. So rusty blackbirds are really, you know, declining species, depends on these bottom and hardwood forests. So, um, yeah, I mean, coastal Louisiana is just full of a diversity of habitats. Um, you know, almost 300 species of birds can be found in South Louisiana. So, Erica, I want to talk about storms a little bit more. You talk about um, birds and and you talk about forests and things like that. Um, So, you know, we had really difficult time, Texas, Florida, Puerto Rico, all over the Caribbean. Those forests and those trees serve as kind of green infrastructure and protection for them, right? And and there's other things that, you know, that that protect birds. And you know what I'm saying? That not just barrier islands where they can lay their nests, but places where they can hide out and ride out storms, right? 
Yeah, so, yeah, when, when those, that triple threat of those three hurricanes were coming through the Caribbean and, and Gulf of Mexico, you know, birds are going through their fall migration at that time. And, you know, songbirds are going to hunker down in these, you know, in these sheltered forests and the chenilles and, mm-hmm. and things like that and try to ride out the storm. Seabirds can get blown in from off the Gulf. Oh, wow. Um, it's actually, if you know, if it's safe to do so, birders love go. They love to go chase birds <laughs> and you know blown in offshore. You can, like, I think one of our former chasing. guests, David Muth, may have done that <laughs> as well. <laughs> Eric, Probably. can you hang on with us throughout the break? We want to talk to you a little bit more. Sure. Okay. Thanks. All right. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. We will be back after the break. Hello, welcome back to Jacques Delta for Dispatches. Jacques is for we, the birds. We're mixing he up. He is for Popeyes. <laughs> <laughs> He's for the chicken you know, in the box. <laughs> Eric, I will say that you are the first time on Delta Dispatches history that we have changed the song and we did it just for you. I know, flush the format. It. <laughs> it's Miranda Lambert for the birds. Look it up. <laughs> Jacques was singing during the break too <laughs> while I was breaking my headphones. So sorry about that. <laughs> anyway, Eric, so Eric is definitely for the birds. But Eric, so what about, tell us about the birds. Is it fall migration yet? Yeah, we're in the, the peak of migration right now. Um, a lot of birds that we call neotropical migrants are coming through the region. So these are birds that are wintering uh, to our south in the tropics, you know, in Central and South America. So those, it's kind of the peak of migration for those birds. And over the next few weeks, we'll sort of see this transition to other kinds of species um, that are, that'll be coming, coming through the region. And those birds are mostly going to be wintering with us. So things like waterfowl and geese are going to start to come in. Um, although blue-winged teal are already coming through now, um, but also lots of other songbirds, little little kinglets and hermit thrushes, um, different kinds of uh, um, you know little songbirds like that. So some stop and stay, and some stop and go. That's right. Yeah, and I love some, that. That's so fascinating. Some, and for some other birds, this is as far north as they get. Ah, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> We're a special place. So you know. October 1st is right around the corner, which means... I think it's this weekend, yeah. I think it's Sunday or Monday, yeah. Which means Christmas is not far after, (laughs) which means the Christmas bird count is underway. Um, So, or almost underway. So, Eric, tell everyone about the Christmas bird count and how they can get involved this year. Sure, yeah. So, the Christmas bird count takes place every year. Um, It's the oldest running citizen science project in the world. Mm -hmm. It's all the way back to 1900. And there are 29 count circles across Louisiana. Oh, wow. Uh, they'll get run between December 14th Y'all are January. busy little yep. birds. <laughs> yep. So people all over the state are going to go out and count birds at that, at that time. Jacques, do you go? I, ha- I have been, yeah. Yeah? Nice. What was, your, what was the bird that you saw? Uh, oh, my God. Eric, you're going to have to make me go I back to it. my list. Real American. Give it know. to him. Um, I don't know, Eric. I'll have to go back to my list and look it up. But I'm going to do it this year, and I will uh, definitely get a better list, I hope, do you, this time. Do you get prizes for who sees the most? Well, there's, there's... Or tell us, actually. Why don't you just tell us about it? How does that happen? Yeah, so so each count gets run over a course of the day, and anywhere from you know a handful to dozens of volunteers will go out and just count birds. Um, last year, some of the top-ranking counts 
in the country come from Louisiana. So a couple of our counts broke 150 species, um, and some of the best counts in, in the country reach you know somewhere in the order of 180. So, so oh, wow. Louisiana is a great place, real diverse place for, for seeing birds in the winter. And people, people can help you do that, right? Do they have to be trained or...? Yeah, I mean, some, some level of bird identification is mm-hmm. definitely helpful, but people can count from their feeders as long as mm-hmm. they're within mm-hmm. a count circle. So people in Baton Rouge or Eastern New Orleans or Lake Charles, Lafayette, you know, there are count circles all over the state that people can participate in. So if you go to christmasbirdcount.org, uh, you can find all of the information of where the count circles are, who you need to contact uh, to get involved in one of those counts, um, and things like that. I like counting for my feeder. It's convenient mm-hmm. yeah when you got a coffee in your hand and- <laughs> yeah i can just that's what i do every morning i just you have, have my a, coffee you have a garden though right and toast. that kind of you can plant yeah. things that attract we have our, our neighbor loves butterflies and so you know but that's the thing right that you can plant absolutely so we have a whole program for um native plants right um and a lot of people do it for butterflies as well as as for birds are they bird- they're not birds obviously but um, are they because they have wings do y'all do y'all like them too i mean hey we love butterflies, we love okay. butterflies. <laughs> yeah there take it from the bird guy <laughs> um, but yeah, so Eric, tell us about the native plants. And I mean, I know it's a good time to plant them because fall is, uh, you know, seasons changing, that sort of thing. And yeah. there's actually some plant sales. So make sure to go mm. out and get your native plants. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so Audubon has a program called Plants for Birds. So if you if you Google Plants for Birds in Audubon, you will find this online database that has this enormous <laughs> amount of information. So if you type in your zip code, it'll give you a whole list of plants. That That's are awesome. Perfect, That's very neat. For attracting birds. And which kind of birds they're going to attract, and it, I mean, it works because, like I, like you were saying, so I we planted a lot in, in our yard, and um, I mean, certainly we got a lot of butterflies, but a lot of birds, and the feeders help too. So it's great to have that kind of backyard bird yeah, experience, that's as we that like you to call do, it. Right? Mm-hmm. That's like how that's the entry drug. It, it's to a birds. great, yeah, education and 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 way to connect directly within for kids to, mm-hmm. you know, getting your kids so to see like a bird that bingo. Mm-hmm. I, if y'all did a bird bingo, Eric, Ben, and Penny would come out and count some birds. <laughs> You should set that up. Uh-huh. So, Eric, I don't know if you saw this photo, but there was a photo circulating around on Facebook mm, uh, yesterday. Careful. And it showed some whooping cranes. Whoop, whoop. whoop, whoop for the whoopers. Uh, <laughs> headed down in a private jet. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they get they get the posh treatment. They, um, they're they so rare that they get uh, they get first class. Really? Yeah. So um, tell us about that. They, you have to, I've seen the pictures where people dress up like the birds, right? To handle them, right? So yeah. um, tell us a little bit more about their first class treatment. Yeah, so there's only about 600 whooping cranes left in the whole world. They're extremely endangered. They almost went extinct. Mm. Um, and in fact, they completely disappeared from Louisiana back in 1950. It was the last whooping crane. And so the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries has been working with a lot of federal and local partners to bring the bird back to Louisiana. So there are uh, institutions around the country that will hatch eggs from um, captive-reared birds and grow the chicks up in in captivity. And then they fly those chicks to different reintroduction programs, and Louisiana is the newest one, where they're bringing the chicks down to South Louisiana, to the Rockefeller Refuge, Mm. White Lake Preserve, and they're releasing them and monitoring them very closely. They have biologists that study them. They dress up like the birds and help feed them. And then when the birds get old enough, they fly away and they start to disperse throughout the landscape. And they take four to five years before they can actually you know, lay their first egg. Wow. So it That's takes a, a long yeah. time to grow mm-hmm. up for a bird. 
Um, and so it's a really slow life cycle. And just last year, the first chick. I remember that. Yay. Yeah, it was yeah. the first one since 1939. And that's our, our friends, South Wings, that mm-hmm. help with that effort. Oh, so they cool. fly the yeah, birds down. Yeah, we had down. Meredith and them mm-hmm. on before. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll so they're a great organization. Too. So Eric, we're about out of time, but I know you have a book coming out Ooh, soon. In time for Christmas? What is it and when can we get a copy? Yeah, it's if, if, if you know that feeling when you open a book and like you can feel yourself starting to fall asleep, <laughs> This book will offer that. Oh, get it's, out. I doubt that. We love talking to you, no, so if it's, it's half as interesting. It's more like a textbook. It's it's a book about bird molt and how to use bird molt to age birds. Are there it's, pictures? Yeah, lots of pictures. Okay. Over a thousand pictures of 186 <gasps> different species from the Amazon forest. Awesome. So that really, sounds beautiful. Yeah, I did my PhD work down there and studied uh, studied these birds and figured out how to use molt patterns to to age them. So when is that coming out? So it's supposed to hit the streets the week of October 16th. Okay, and where can you find it? Uh, you can find it on CRC Press. Um, I'm not entirely sure exactly what the website. We'll have is, you back. We'll have yeah. you back. Yeah, and what's the title? It's called the uh, um, Life History of Amazon Amazonian Birds um, Molten Aging Patterns mm. awesome. by Dr. Eric Johnson. I love it. Well, Eric, thank you again. It's always it's a pleasure. Always, yeah, I always learn something. Yeah, and we look forward. You know, to hearing more and, you know, as uh, the Christmas bird count gets mm-hmm. underway and there mm-hmm. are other opportunities to get involved, of course, go to la.audubon.org and, uh, you and know, let's talk sign more about up. the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When yeah. the time comes. So uh, anything for the rest of this week or coming up that we want to talk about before we have to go? Yeah. I mean, we'll following up on the show that we had, um, you know, some volunteer opportunities. week. Yeah. There's some volunteer opportunities coming up. Uh, our partners at Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation are doing um, 10,000 trees for Louisiana um, at Carnarvon, and that's uh, Monday the 4th, um, 9 to 4 p.m. So go to, um, you know, uh, saveourlake.org or crcl.org. They're partnering on that one. Um, and also, um, there's an oyster shell bagging pro, uh, event on this Saturday, oh, okay. um, 9 to 1 in Bureau. So you can go to crcl.org to find more. That's about it. And then another great show. We'll keeping talk- our fingers crossed for LSU and the Saints, right? Yeah, yeah. We'll have another good show already in the works for next week. Next too. week, we're getting into some of the finance, uh, yeah. the world of finance, but it'll be a good one. So. Very cool. All right. Thank you, Jacques. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Delta Dispatches, WGSO 990 AM, deltadispatches.org.